And what we're going to do for this topic is that we're, we are, I'm not going to read the opening passage right now, but we're going to read passages as we walk through this topic. What we find in the book of Proverbs is that once you get past chapter 9 of Proverbs and into chapter 10 to the rest of the book, is that many themes and topics are kind of scattered throughout those chapters. So what we're going to do is bring them all, uh, the best we can, bring them all together and read them as we go through each point of the sermon. Now, to do that today, I've tried to help you in your bulletin. If you have a bulletin, if you open that up, on the, on the, uh, once you have it opened up on the left side, you're going to see all four points of the sermon along with all the Scripture passages from the book of Proverbs that go with each point. Now, we're going to read those as we go through the text. If you don't have a bulletin, no worries. All the, all the text will be on the screen so that you can follow along. But today, we're going to look at the topic of a good friend and neighbor. So if you would join me in, in prayer, let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together as we look at His Word at this specific topic. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to You in Jesus' name, the name that is above all names. Your Word says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Thou art Lord. And Lord, we come to You in Your Word. We come to the book of Proverbs today as You teach us through wisdom literature how to be a good friend and neighbor. And we pray that Your blessings would accompany the preaching of Thy Word. Fill me with Your Spirit. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation of this preacher's heart be acceptable in Thy sight. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive the things of God. Bless this time, Lord, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 22, the Lord Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus answered with those two commandments being the greatest commandments. We are familiar with those passages of Scripture, but we want to take note of that second commandment today and next week and really ask the question, what does it really mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to be a good friend to be a good neighbor to someone else. You know, as I ask this question, think about this. Think about a good friend that you've had in your life. Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's someone from your family or someone that you grew up with from school. What are characteristics about that person that makes him or her a good friend to you? Having good friends, that is such a precious, precious thing, specifically friends in the Lord. One of my greatest blessings in life is having other men and even ladies who are Christian friends in my life who will be an encouragement to me, who will support me, who will walk through life with me. In fact, that topic is so big, as we studied the book of Proverbs, I've actually found eight points in Proverbs about being a good friend and neighbor. And to bless you today, I'm not going to do all eight points. 
We're going to cut that in half, and we're going to do four today and four next week. But there's so much in the Bible about being a good friend and a good neighbor, and it's wrapped up in wisdom literature here in Proverbs. So join me today. Let's answer the question, what does a good friend and neighbor look like? According to Proverbs, first of all, a good friend and neighbor, it's in your bulletin, is someone who's peaceful and does not plan or plot against you. It's a person you can trust. Let's read Proverbs 3.29. The Bible says, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. A few moments ago, our brother Ladd read to us from 1 Kings chapter 21 about neighbors. I mean, these people lived side by side. You have Naboth, the Jezreelite, who lived side by side with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were neighbors. And it looks like Naboth had a vineyard right there beside his neighbor, King Ahab. And Ahab decided that he wanted that vineyard. And he came to Naboth and said, hey, can I give you another vineyard for yours? Or can I pay you for your vineyard? I'd like to have your vineyard. And Naboth considered the request made by Ahab and Once he thought about it, he said, no, I I don't want to do that. The vineyard that I have, I, I received in heritage of my family. I want to keep this vineyard. I don't want to sell it to you, King Ahab. Well, the Bible says that Ahab went back to his palace. And you know what he did? He threw a fit. He crossed his arms and he stuck out his lower lip. Your children ever do that? My children perfected that, I think. (laughs) But if you read the text, Ahab pouted. He pouted. He wouldn't even eat. He was so upset that Naboth wouldn't sell him or trade him this vineyard. And Jezebel walks in and is basically like, Ahab, what are you doing? Why are you pouting? Why do you look? And why are you acting the way you're acting? And Ahab tells her the story. Well, you see, I wanted to, to get this vineyard, trade this vineyard, buy this vineyard, but, but Naboth told me no. And again, he sat there pouting. Well, Jezebel had other plans in her mind. She basically said, don't you understand that you're the king? Basically meaning you can do whatever you want to people whenever you want to do it to people. And right then and there, she started to plot and to plan against her next-door neighbor, Naboth. She wrote a letter to the elders, the leaders of the town. She even put the signature of her husband on those letters. And in those letters, she said, call a meeting, put Naboth at the head of the table, and find two worthless men in the town to sit at that table. And when that happens, those two worthless men are to accuse Naboth in front of everybody. 
tell them that Naboth has disgraced God and disgraced the king. And once that happens, they'll stone Naboth. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what she did. She went into action. There was a huge plan by Jezebel. The letter was sent. The elders received it. The two worthless men were brought forward. They accused Naboth of cursing God and cursing the king. And yes, their next door neighbor was stoned because he wanted that vineyard. Let's look at that story. Let's ask this question. What was in their hearts? What was in the hearts of Ahab and Jezebel that led them to plot and plan against their neighbor? Lad mentioned a few a moment ago, certainly covetousness. They wanted something that their neighbor had, and they were willing to do anything to get it. They were jealous. He had something that they wanted. They were greedy. They couldn't be content with where they were or what they had, what God had provided them with. They had to have his vineyard. Deception was in their heart. Let's make this planning and plotting attack against our neighbor. Bitterness was in their heart. Ahab was so upset that he pouted all that way because he didn't get what he wanted. He became bitter towards Naboth. Beloved, this is an example of how not to be a good friend and a good neighbor. And this teaches us to watch out for these types of things that can come crawling into our hearts, that can come into our minds against our friends and neighbors in this world. Personally, let me tell you that I've actually seen this in life, in ministry. I know of a minister who actually would, would stand and proclaim the Word of God on Sundays, but he couldn't even get along literally with his next-door neighbor. There was so much turmoil in that relationship that it caused his neighbor to even question her faith. She couldn't understand why the minister was acting so terribly towards her. So it teaches us to ask this question. What are we putting in our hearts towards our neighbors, towards the people around us? Proverbs 4.23 says this. This is the NIV translation. But it says, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. This text teaches us that we need to guard our hearts from covetousness, jealousy, greed, deception, plotting and planning an attack against our neighbor. Why? Because the Bible says to us today, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. The question that we need to ask, if, we're, if we want to be a good friend and a good neighbor, can the people around us dwell with us trustingly? Or do they always have to look over their shoulder at what we're going to bring them, what we're going to put in their backs? Because a good friend is peaceful and does not plan or plot against you. So as you keep bitterness and discontentment, jealousy, anger, malice out of your heart, what do we put in our hearts? We are to love our neighbors. We're to keep humility in our hearts. 
looking to the interest of others as Philippians will teach us. But secondly, today, Proverbs teaches us that a good friend, a good neighbor, is going to be restrained and calm. Several verses we're going to read with the second point today. So you'll find it in your bulletin. You'll find it on the screen today regarding restrained and calm friend. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 12, 25 Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. 11.9. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. 11.12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Let's walk through these kind of one at a time. According to the Word of God, a good friend, a good neighbor is one who is restrained and calm. Chapter 17, verse 27 talks about restraining your words. Can you hold your tongue? Can you have a cool spirit? Consider the Lord Jesus Christ right before He died. As He stood before Pontius Pilate, the Word of God says that many times he did not open his mouth. Yet even when he did open his mouth, the Lord Jesus, his words were always restrained. He was always calm. He was in control of what he was saying, what he was doing. You know, the Bible teaches us that words can be very cruel, very damaging. That second verse, chapter 12, verse 18, says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You've heard the little line, Sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But words will never hurt me. Truth or a lie? It's a lie. The Bible says it's so much of a lie, it says, Picture a man with a sword in his hand. And that man takes that sword and thrusts it into the body of another human. Get that picture in your mind because there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. If you want to tear someone down, you don't have to simply use sticks and stones or simply your fists. The Bible says get good with your words and you can destroy someone. You can pierce them. You can tear them down. I'm sure we all have testimonies of somewhere in life, someone has torn us down with their words. Maybe we have testimonies somewhere in life, we've torn other people down with our words. The Bible says a good neighbor is not going to thrust words like a sword into you, but is going to do what? Bring healing to bring healing, to edify, to build each other up. What's the opposite of building up? Tearing down. We're going to do one of those two things with our words. We're going to build up or we're going to tear down. We're going to bring sword thrusts. 
We're going to bring healing with our words. What does a good friend and neighbor do? As he is restrained and calm, he will bring healing to a situation. 1225 talks about a good word making someone glad whose heart is filled with anxiety. Maybe you can think of a time in your life where you were experiencing anxiety, worry, and you had a good friend come alongside you and encourage you maybe with the Scriptures, encourage you with the things of God that would make you glad. This is what a true friend does. He or she will build up, not tear down. 11.9 talks about the godless man destroying his neighbor with his mouth. You see, Ahab and Jezebel used words, maybe through a letter, to tear down Naboth, didn't they? Many of us, we have torn down others with our words. We find that we verbally rip into people destroying our neighbor, but we see texts like this, we recognize that's not what a good friend does, that it's not restrained and calm. 11.12 talks about remaining silent. Reminds us again of Jesus. As Isaiah said, as a sheep before it shears is silent, so Jesus opened not his mouth. Sometimes it's best not to say anything at all. To be a restrained and a calm, a good friend. Thirdly today, we find that a good friend, a good neighbor is kind and generous instead of harsh. This is Proverbs 14, 21. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. We talk about neighbors today. We have to think about the text. This is from Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Because once Jesus goes over the fact that you should love God and love your neighbor, Jesus is asked a question Who is my neighbor? So Jesus answers that question with the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. I know you're familiar with it. Talks about a man who was on his way towards Jericho, yet he was beaten and robbed by thieves and robbers. He was left for dead on the side of the road. And as this man was lying there, the Bible says that a priest walks by. The priest sees the man, observes the situation, but what does he do? He does nothing. He just keeps on going. A few moments later, a Levite passes by. He sees the situation, but what does he do? He does nothing. He just keeps on walking by. Then Jesus says the Samaritan walks by. And instead of just keeping on, keeping on, the Bible says that he stopped, that he didn't just pass by. And that's some. The Samaritan actually got down on his hands and knees. He stooped down to pick this man up. He bandaged, put bandages on this man, on his wounds. The Bible says he poured oil, he poured wine. 
He took him to the local inn, and not only did he take him, but he paid for his stay. And he said, if this man needs anything else, put it on my tab. And Jesus asked, which one was a neighbor to this man? The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, go. Go and do likewise. Beloved, as Proverbs teaches us this morning, blessed is the man who is generous toward the poor. This Samaritan was generous to this man that he did not even know laying on the side of the road. And it teaches us that to be a good friend, to be a good neighbor, is to show, is to show mercy. But the Bible says mercy is costly. It's not, it's not free. It, it's costly. Think about what it costs the Samaritan to be generous to the poor, to be generous to this man. It cost him time, didn't it? I guarantee you the Samaritan wasn't planning on stopping and taking care of that man that day. It wasn't on his to-do list. He had other things to do, but he put those things aside, and it cost him time. It cost him effort. He had to get down on the ground. He had to pick the man up. He had to pour the oil and wine. And in doing so, it also, it, it also cost him cleanliness. He was now dirty for being part and participating in the, in the restoration of this man. And ultimately, yes, it cost him money. He paid for the man's stay. He even said, put other things on my bill. Mercy is costly. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way about mercy. I love this definition of mercy. He says, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin, whether it's his own sin or that of someone else. Take this for example. Was the Samaritan fixing this wounded man's sin? No. He was fixing the effect of someone else's sin, right? The robbers and the thieves that had been on that man's life. But the Samaritan decided to show mercy to that man. He decided to be a good friend, a good neighbor. He did not despise his neighbor, but was generous to him. And what does Jesus tell us? Go and do Likewise. Fourth and finally, the Bible says a good friend understands that he must keep his distance from some people. Look at this text from Proverbs 22. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So this is actually teaching us some discernment, right? Make no friendship with a man given to anger. This is the power of influence. Leadership is often defined as the ability to influence other people. This is talking about influence. When I think about influence, maybe influence in the wrong way in the Bible, I think about Galatians chapter 2. Do you remember that chapter? 
The Apostle Paul is writing to us in Galatians 2. He's telling us the story of Peter. Peter the disciple. Bold Peter. And in Galatians chapter 2, the Bible says that Peter became a hypocrite. That he knew that people were saved not by works, but by faith and through by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But Peter decided to be a hypocrite that day because there were some Jewish people coming and he didn't want to be seen eating with the Gentiles. And he played the hypocrite. And this is what Galatians chapter 2, verse 13 says. It says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I tell you this story to show you the power of influence. Peter, who was a leader in the church, was so influential that people followed him even in his hypocrisy. He was a hypocrite to those who were there that day. Barnabas was even led astray. The power of influence. This text right here, Proverbs 22, talks about the power of influence. If you are making friends with angry people. The Bible says you need to watch out. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you what? Learn his ways. In other words, lest he influence you for the worse. Personally, I have a personal story in my life where I was around someone I considered a friend, but this friend was constantly angry. Constantly angry all the time, and as time went on, it just got worse, and it got worse. And let me tell you that that influenced me. I brought that anger into my own heart. I brought that anger into my own mind. And what did I do with it? I let it out on other people who I loved. And then I had to realize something one day, that this was not a healthy relationship. That this influence of anger from this person into my life is, is being brought through me to other people that I loved. And I had to understand verses like this, that right here the Bible is teaching me to have discernment. In other words, I had to cut that off in my life because I'm telling you, I was learning his ways. I was entangling myself in that snare. So yes, the Bible teaches us to have discernment, a need for separation because of the power of influence. Just as Peter influenced Barnabas, other people are going to influence us. Are your influences are, are, are those people influencing you for the good or for the bad? Think through that. Because a good friend will always influence you in the right direction. Beloved, as we close the sermon today, this text, as every text in the Bible we preach, it demands we ask questions of ourselves. First of all, we ask this question. Are we living out being a good friend and neighbor? And the first way we ask it, are we being peaceful and trusting? Or are we plotting and planning against our neighbor? Is what 
was in Ahab's heart, Jezebel's heart. Do we find that coming into our hearts? Above all else, guard your heart. Keep out that covetousness, that jealousy. Keep in loving God and loving your neighbor. Secondly, are we restrained and calm? Or are our words like sword thrusts? Are we taking the sword of our words and jabbing it into the hearts and minds of other people? Let us not be giving sword thrusts, but let the tongue be wise and bring healing to a situation. Thirdly, are we kind and generous? Like that good Samaritan. Or do we pass by like that priest and that Levite? Does our anger influence for the wrong reasons? Questions that we need to ask. And as we finish this sermon, let us look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's in Christ who gives us the answer of how to be a good friend, of how to be a good neighbor. At the beginning of this service, Lad read a call to worship from John chapter 15. Let me reread some of that. It's in your bulletin, typed out in the middle section of your bulletin, if you have your bulletin. But this is John chapter 15, starting in verse 13. John says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is speaking. He says, You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ is the definition of what a good friend, what a good neighbor should look like because Jesus is peaceful. He never plots and plans against us. He's always a person we can trust. The Bible says our Redeemer is faithful and true. If God says it, He'll do it. Jesus is restrained and calm. As he was before Pontius Pilate, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, Jesus is always restrained and calm, and he always brings healing, not sword thrusts. His voice makes us glad. He is not out to destroy us, but he's out to redeem us, to protect us. Jesus is always kind and generous. He's never harsh. Jesus never passes us by like the priest or like the Levite. Jesus always stops to give us mercy, and he is never given to anger towards us. The Bible says he is patient, he is long-suffering, and he, in this text, in John, he calls us friends. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is the ultimate friends. He laid down his life for you and for me. And God teaches us, Jesus teaches us, yes, to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And he teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Pray with me, please.